Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sorry, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The word of the Lord. The kids are invited to kids' church. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 that Rachel read for us this morning, it's familiar to all of us, but I think it always helps to, to hear it again. It's, this is, as we're walking through John's gospel, we've had things that, that said of Jesus that are by other people that are kind of near to us. Uh, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world at the beginning. And we kind of get that one. That's partially because we have such a uh, modern American Christianity has adapted a very sacrificial mindset towards Jesus's work, um, which is true. It's almost like our major, though, so sometimes it becomes too much. We adapt to that one yet, um, but then we have him called very regular things. These are, these are claims he's taken upon himself so far. I am the bread of life. Whoever thirsts and comes to me will receive living water, the kind that never runs out. Bread and water we know quite well. Last Sunday, it was, I am the light of the world. Light is another one we know quite well. And yet this Sunday, Jesus calls himself two I ams. I am the gate, which we kind of get, and I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd, sorry. Um, And these two things hold together uh, another way of sort of describing the identity of this one we're walking with in John's gospel. This one also, too, ties into uh, Israel's rich history, that passage that Emily read for us from Ezekiel, about the people who have shepherds who are abusing them and are bad to them and don't guide them well. These were the kings at the time, are waiting a good shepherd, shepherd who will lead them into good places and lead them into rest. Similar to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We have these images of, of shepherding, and yet almost none of us know any shepherds. Now, this is a, this is a story that uh, I told Kelly last night, and she said it's worth sharing um, because it makes me look bad, I think. Uh, um, it's, it's a story about why I don't have many friends who are clergy. Is that it was, uh, there's a Sunday called Good Shepherd Sunday during the Easter season, if you follow the liturgical calendar very strict. I think it's the fourth Sunday after Easter is Good Shepherd Sunday. And I was at a clergy gathering, and we were all sitting around, and um, one of the clergy were lamenting that, you know, it was Mother's Day, and Mother's Day is traumatizing for people, and we shouldn't do it, and anybody who's not a mother is offended, and this, that, and the other. And she said, what did you speak on, Matt? And I said, it was Good Shepherd Sunday. And let me tell you, everyone who wasn't a shepherd was offended. Um... Uh, now, what I will say is, first off, I'm not good at making friends. <laughs> Second, um, uh, today there's an event this afternoon, many of you will be watching. Um, uh, there's Mother's Day, there's these things, and these are things that sort of we try not to participate in at Defiance Church to keep our hearts vertically directed towards God. We, as that woman pointed out, often don't do Mother's, or we don't do Mother's Day here, not because I have anything against mothers, but because if Mother's Day is good news for you, the good news is that you're going to get a call that day later from somebody who loves you, or you're going to go out for brunch, or you're going to have some other meaning that me talking about it and giving you a fake flower isn't going to to go beyond that. And if I can't top the best part of your day, I'm not interested. No. (laughs) just along the lines of, like, we don't do those things. And so I often think, and many, many churches surrender today to, to the big game, too. Um, and I often think, like, if we don't do these things, people will intuitively notice that we don't do them. 
and then it inevitably happens that 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 that's not true. Um, uh, a mentor of mine said, more is caught than taught, Matt, but if you don't say anything at all, people are never going to get it. Um, and so that's my one time of year where I begin to mention, you know, here's some things we intentionally leave out. Um, and we bring in, such as the church on that Sunday that I was serving at, it was Good Shepherd Sunday, and the non-shepherds were not offended, um, but we were able to live into that. But it's interesting that the shepherd metaphor speaks to us so much still. That Psalm 23, Rachel and I were talking before the service, is so memorable to so many people. It's one that's near and dear to many hearts. It's read often at the passing of people, faithful and not faithful. And yet it's an image, that shepherd image, that that is often lost to us. But we know this about it, is that there's a way in which we walk through life as sheep. We walk through life sort of surrounded by enemies, by trials, by difficulties. We walk through valleys of shadow of, of uh, valleys in the shadow of death at times. And we know intuitively, um, even though we haven't hung out with many shepherds, I think, that the idea that there is someone there guiding us. There is somebody there with us. That there is a rod and a staff that comfort us in those times of trial. Even if, if people don't believe it's true, they hope that it's true. There is a longing in the existential dreads we face in life. A hope within us that there is something they're guiding something they're leading. That, that, that shepherd who, who may make right paths for us. And what's implicit in that, I like, is that we as sheep don't always take them. We like to go on our own paths. But there is somebody there with us who guides us in those places. And so it shouldn't be lost on us that when Jesus, one of the ways he wants to reveal himself to his people in John's gospel is to say, I am the good shepherd. I am this one whom you've been waiting to to lead. Now what I find um, quite amazing about this is um, uh, the, uh, Jesus is in conflict at this moment. It says, he says, I say to Pharisees, what's happened um, up until this moment in this gospel is Jesus has just healed a blind man, um, and the Pharisees want to find out, did Jesus break the Sabbath law? Now, uh, Frederick Dale Brunner, to help people understand who the Pharisees were, he calls them the serious in his commentary, which I love, because if you've been a Christian long enough, you know some of the serious. Um, serious are no fun. Um, uh, and the serious are always looking for perfect uh, correspondence to what has been instructed. The serious often can suck uh, life. <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> that was a bad pause. Can suck life from us. Uh, that was not an intentional pause there, although that is true as well. Um, can, can take away our joy and our being. Um, uh, good times. Um, and the serious want to inspect the blind man to find out 
who did this and when did they do it and what is going on. And the series have this way in which their interpretation of the law of Moses is such that they think that it would be better for him to remain blind but to be entered into righteousness than it would for him to be, see, to be able to see and to be entered into failure. We too have those understandings as well. I, I always try to be sympathetic to the Pharisees because sometimes we like it easy. What are the lines? What are the check marks? Sometimes when I used to work hourly wages, I used to try and be clear enough to say exactly what, tell me exactly what you want me to do so that I cannot fail, <laughs> um, so that I can do exactly that. Um, and so much in our spiritual life, I think we want the same too. Tell us exactly what to do. And in this way, the Pharisees, I think, um, the serious, I think, are like good pastors often, good, in air quotes, uh, good pastors, in the sense of which they know what the people want. They want clear direction, ways to know that they're living righteously, ways in which they know they're participating in this. And this man, Jesus, comes on the scene, and I think intuitively you would think like good pastors or good um, leaders of their religious flock know that he's pointing to life. Sight restored is a joy. And yet something doesn't compute there. It's not happening in the ways in which we would prefer it to happen. It's not equaling the ways in which we want it to happen. Now what Jesus has been revealing to them in this gospel and the other gospels is those things were pointing to fullness. Those things were pointing to the more that come. The Sabbath rest wasn't just pointing to the, the cessation of work. It was pointing to the remaking of creation. And so for someone to receive sight on that day, or in Mark's gospel for a cripple to have his hand repaired, and this, that, and the other, is to be restored in the way in which we hope and pray and look forward to being restored on that ultimate rest day in God. They looking at a small part of the picture, have their own way of sort of minimizing that down. Um, and we, uh, Jesus, in some ways, often I think is pulling back the frame of the camera to take in more. And I think that should make us often more sympathetic to the serious than we are. Um, they've zoomed in so much they can't see the glory of what's being revealed. And so, too, we can, we can go so minuscule in our own walks and our own faith that we can miss what's going on. This is, in John's gospel, the only thing that looks like a parable. The three other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are full of parables. But this one is this sort of condensed symbol, just in these words here that are up there, of, of what um, Jesus is trying to tell them in a way that you would turn over inside yourself. You would stick with it to figure out what it means, thinking over and over again. Again, for these people, this, this is, the shepherd imagery is rich with so many things from the Old Testament, that, that they are people who need a shepherd. They are people who need a path. But he says that anyone who climbs in the other, other way is a thief and a robber. The ones who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own shape by name and leads them out. When he's brought all, all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. 
this short word picture is just loaded with, with those images for us, and there's so many that you could sick on. Um, uh, this, this gatekeeper, the entering of the proper way. What does it mean to enter in the proper way? Thieves and robbers come over from the outside, not the proper way, but they come through another way in order to steal and destroy, in order to take. Now, it's interesting that, that we, too, find this, um, that we often want to enter in other ways into this, or at least don't want to go through the way in which God has called us to go. There's the listening to the voice that was um, in the song that Rachel sang for us, the second song, too, that he calls us by name that Jesus is the shepherd who knows us and calls us. In the ancient Near East, there's two stories that I read this week. Um, again, we aren't shepherds. If, <laughs> sometimes people come up to you afterwards and they're like, actually, I was, and I have something to tell you about. Um, but <laughs> you can tell me later. But for the moment, apparently the sheep of the Middle East, even today, can recognize the voice of the one calling them that they've done where the shepherd is replaced by somebody wearing their clothes who mimics their call, and the sheep don't listen, and sometimes they scatter. There's a story of a, of a Muslim woman recently who her sheep are in a pen, sort of um, all the sheep that have been sort of taken from this region are in one pen, and a soldier is guarding them, and she says, I would like my sheep back, and he says, how are you going to get your sheep back? And she plays an instrument, and her sheep move towards the gate. There are sheep that separate themselves and follow in that way. Again, never seen this. So, um, but, but sheep tend to have an affection towards their shepherd. They gather around them and go with them. Jesus is placing himself as the one whose voice that these people will know. That when he calls... They will go towards him and go along his way. But because the people are confused, Jesus explains this parable a little bit. The first thing he says is that I am the gate for the sheep. Now, there is, um, again, not shepherds, but there was one interpreter who said that there are shepherds who, when their sheep go into a pen, sleep at the gate of the pen. Jesus may not be saying, I'm an inanimate object that opens and closes, but rather that as the sheep are gathered into their safe pasture, I am the one who lays in front of it and guards the door. But there's another way in which gates for us are, are portals or ways of moving through. And what he says about the gate is whoever went, uh, enters into it comes to be saved. And those who go out, they go out to pasture that Jesus talks about himself as being the entryway in which we enter for safety, we enter for care, we enter to be away from the wolves, the thieves, and robbers of the world. Now, I think we need to sit with that. As we often try to live and describe our world in which everybody can go about their own ways and nobody means any harm. Jesus quite clearly wants to say that there are those bent towards destruction. There are those pastures which are not safe for you. There are places in which you will find yourself pulled or lost as a sheep that are not for you. They are where thieves and robbers lie. Those who come and kill and destroy When I think of my own life, 
when I think of the patterns we can adapt, the directions we can point, there are things that we place our trust, our hope, our life, our security, or our boredom in that we know afterwards we have been stolen from, that something within us has been killed that that which we thought might look like another shepherd, another good guidance, is a thief and a robber, and it's come to destroy the joy, the light, the love, the goodness that resides in your life. We don't name them as such often. It's just a mistake. It was just an error. It was just a little bit of lost time. But if you think about Christ as the shepherd of your soul the one who can refresh you beside still waters. And then think of the times, for myself, that I've decided to drink elsewhere that brings stealing and killing and destroying. Emptiness begins to reign. And it's emptiness that when we go out, um, people know. Uh, it's, it's kind of weird, I think, this hasn't happened to you, but as I've spent time in those places in the course of my life, and I go out and I'm like, hey, everyone, family, um, uh, parents, here I am, happy to be here. And they're like, something is wrong with you. Um, are you sure you're okay? Um, God bless people who ask that, even though as much as you may want to punch them at the time, um, because it draws you back to the fact that you were in the midst of a robber, a thief, something that wants to kill and destroy. It's it's when, when you come back out of those places and you're like, I'm leaving that behind, and somebody goes, you seem different. You're like, who asked you? Um, (laughs) But it takes work to free ourselves from that, to listen again to the voice of our shepherd to have that come before us. Now, um, yeah, that that Jesus becomes this gate in which we enter both the rest, but also the the mission in which we go out into the pasture. I I never have thought about that before, um, and I don't have an answer for it, but I do think it's beautiful in the ways in which Jesus invites us in and brings us out in this metaphor. I think as Christians, there are periods where we only want to be out. You need to come in. (laughs) There are moments where we only want to be in, and it's clear we need to be led out. This is there we eat and find safety. It is there we learn trust. Jesus says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. Um, Given the nature of the Gospel of John, we know he's not referring to the Old Testament because he's largely affirmed the teaching theirs, but it seems like he might be referring to the Pharisees, which of course won't make you friends. Jesus has not gone to what uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People seminar. Um, it's not lost on us that they try to kill him after he speaks this way, which, um, yeah, he's not being kind to you. Um, but there's uh, Rudolf Boltman in this quote um, captures, I think, what those who come before me means in some ways. Um, those who came before me cannot be limited to particular figures in the past. All pretend revealers of all ages are swept away by the coming of Jesus, which is experienced in faith. 
all pretend revealers are swept away. We live in an era of pretend revealers, I think. And I think one of the ways you can know that is because they actually come as revealers. You're living your life, and something comes to you as this idea in which they will reveal something to you. And oftentimes, or occasionally, that can be good, but often it comes to kill and destroy as the thieves do. Take you away from friendship, take you away from relationship, take you away from trust in one another. Shepherd, as we'll talk about a little bit, is has obviously for Israel is a major political metaphor. And I think so often of the people who are like, I can't talk to my parents anymore because they disagree with me politically. What pretend revealer has done that to your soul? Because it came to kill and destroy. Jesus' I am always means that there is one who can lead men, humans, to salvation, only one revealer. There are not various answers to man's quest for salvation, but only one. A decisive decision must be made. This is the basis of the intolerance of revelation. Boltman here is capturing, I think, in a beautiful phrase, what is often called the scandal of particularity when Abraham is called, in that this is the intolerance of revelation. If this one is the light of the world, if he is the gate in which we enter into protection and life, then there aren't others. He continues, Yet inasmuch as the modern idea of tolerance has and radical relativism, rel- radical relativism ultimately abandoned any idea of an objective truth, it has led once more to the form of a profane intolerance through the recognition that a relativist acceptance of all claims cripples any kind of commitment whatsoever. I am the gate in which you enter. I am the good shepherd. Cripples all the other claims, and we prefer to have our options open. Alan Noble, in his newest book, um, I Am Not My Own, talks about that most people, millennials and younger, live under commitments um, as long as it fits my schedule. All our commitments are contingent upon um, soon to be notified. Um, It's the relativistic claim that keeps us from doing anything. But the revelation of Jesus demands that man abandon his attempt to find himself by giving himself up to this or that cause, because God in his revelation has already given up himself for men. That Jesus has come to give life in fullness. It is faith in in the revelation which leads to the particular security of faith. Whereas man's own commitments is intentionally insecure and the saddest phrase ever, and his heroism, but the reverse of his despair. Our heroism is but the reverse of our despair. One has come who lays down his lives and picks it up again. One who has come who is the good shepherd. In our own way of saying, I will be myself, I will choose, I will be the good one, I will make my world. That heroism is only just us playing out our despair. Despair into the world. The second metaphor, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd laid down his life for sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares for noth- cares nothing for the sheep. Um, this one, I think, is uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. Um, 
and the hired hands, which are the Pharisees. And I, I think, what I hope is that pastors at least get the benefits of being hired hands, which is that we don't want you to have ultimate trust in us. We want you to have ultimate trust in the good shepherd. I hope I will follow in Jesus's method, his way, and through his spirit, be able to remain with you through whatever conflict that may cost me. But there's only one who will do that. As pastors fail us, and this is sort of a publishing industry at the moment, they weren't the good shepherd. They weren't intended to be the good shepherd. They might stay in his stead for time, wait for the good shepherd to return to your soul, but I think the goal for many pastors, I'd like to say every, is that you don't come to see us as a stand-in for the good shepherd while he is gone, but as the hired hand who can do the best that he can while we await that one in its fullness. Um, And the wolf comes, the hired hand runs away. Jesus is the shepherd, and he proclaims that here as one who lays down his life for his people. Um, there's one thing I wanted to say about the shepherd and related to... This is the... Yeah, okay. There's one. There's three things I want to say, but they're one thing kind of tied. So to the extent to which I can do this, congratulations. Um, first is that Jesus is the good shepherd. Two words combined together, which implies that there are bad shepherds. Much of the imagery that Jesus has been using in John's gospel is from the wilderness time in which the people are living, leaving the tyranny of Pharaoh, the slavery in which they were in, the brick-making and the death in which they were continually involved in, and being brought into eternal life. So there is a bad shepherd. It is this one who is Pharaoh, and it is Jesus who, who um, when we went through the book of Numbers, which is the story of that time, who I think is the doctor or therapist, if you'd like, for our souls, that heals us into trust again so that we can receive life. To have a good shepherd is to have one who gives life to us. And we live so much based under the tyranny of Pharaoh, of others, of other leaders, of other destruction, that it's too necessary for us to listen to this one and to follow their lead, to go with this one. The second is, is that then comes with that um, sort of a heroic... Uh, her, her, Oh, uh, man. Hierarchy. So the word that I'm looking for is... Uh, ask Carla afterwards. Hierarchical. <laughs> the nature that comes with this. That we are sheep and there is a shepherd. That we are not the leader. We are not God. So first there are good and bad shepherds, and then there are ones who lead that are better than us one above us. I think much of the modern world tries to flatten all hierarchies and so that there is no difference. And whatever that may mean and bring about, I don't know. But I will say that for us to have a relationship to the living God, we do need one hierarchy. 
We are not God. In the words of the theologian, Carbart is that God is wholly other than us. And so for us to accept this teaching, first we have to know that there is good and bad, which is a challenge in our modern world. I was listening to a philosopher this week give a lecture on um, Aristotle and the good, and it's actually the same word that Jesus has used here as the same one that Aristotle used in, in some ways, and it can be translated beautiful, um, which I think means that this good shepherd has correspondence to seeing good. So often what we proclaim as good is um, of particular choice or taste. This word implies that other people recognize it as good. The good life is one that is recognized as such. And so too, we have that displacement here too, is that, is that this one is the good shepherd who um, is not like other shepherds is bad, but also has this um, way in which it's recognized through its beauty and goodness. It's one that shows up despite the fact we live in a world that we debate what is good. Um, he finishes, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father and I, just as me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to pick it up again. This is the command I have received from my father. In this teaching, again, he reiterates that I am the good shepherd, that he knows us by name. And not only that, that his mission is to gather others not of this pen, that Jesus' mission is to bring others into this, to gather up that which is lost in the world and to bring it into his place. That says that I shall be, they, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The modern church has not done good at the one flock thing. We have many, many different flocks meeting throughout the valley today. Um, and yet, when we say the creed, as we do at the end or in the middle of the service, that we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church, we say that we believe that the church is one because there is but one shepherd. The oneness of us, church, in the world isn't our particular addresses because if it is, we're hosed. Um, 2306 Blake Ave um, is not the sole pen. But because we have one shepherd, we know that throughout the world and throughout the other churches, there is but one voice that the sheep listen to. Again, if I am not the good shepherd, which is obvious, the other thing is, is that this is not the only good pen. Jesus has sheep throughout all these other churches and places. We'll know that. You may say, well, I'm not sure about this community or that. The question is, is do they hear his voice? When his tune comes on, is it one that we go to? And Jesus here, this is the final insight, is that he is one who lays down his life to pick it up again. The Greek here, um, the English makes it sound like he's uh, instantly referring to he will die for his sheep which if you're looking at the parable is no help to the sheep um, because then you don't have a shepherd and the wolf can just eat all of you. Um, what he means in, in the Greek is more ambiguous to say that the, the shepherd actually fights for his sheep. The shepherd contends for his sheep. 
And what he means in the way that's translated in English is that he does so to the point of death. He doesn't flee and run and hide. So too, then he illumines that this is what's coming, that Jesus, as he walks his path, will lay down his life for us. He will die. And in the cross, he will find that he's able to pick up life again. That he's one who can take down and pick that up. It is Christ who leads us into that kind of life as well. We are ones who see the little deaths that we have in life and serving and caring and being with one another as but the path to pick up our life again in the resurrection. Not in the same way that Jesus can. We don't have that power. But we walk in the pattern of the one who does. Here, he is the gate. Here, he is the good shepherd. Let us pray. That you have come and taught your people You lead your people. You protect your people. You guide your people. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God, we pray that you come into this place and be the shepherd of our souls. That you draw us to still waters. That you draw us to refreshment. That we, as your people, are not spared from valleys of darkness and death. But as we walk those places of despair and anguish and loss, we know that your rod and your staff, they comfort us. We, your people, the church, are not spared enemies. They are out there. And yet you prepare a table for us in their presence. So we pray that surely your goodness will follow us all the days of your life, our lives, and that we may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the Father and the Son.